going to cover 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Now, I, I've got to try to control myself. Brother Albert down here tells me I get going too fast sometimes, but I try to squeeze it all in. I want to make sure you get your money's worth, all right? So a lot of you paid good money to, to be here tonight. And so we're going to look at 1 and 2 Peter tonight. Now, listen, before I get started, how many of you know that 1 and 2 Peter, this is Peter, Peter that walked with Jesus. This is Peter that denied the Lord. This is Peter that heard the cock crow. This is Peter that walked on the water. This is Peter that ran to the tomb. I mean, this is Peter that was always sticking his foot in his mouth. It's that Peter. Now, just think about that for a second. A lot of times we think, could God use me? If God can use Peter, God can use you. God can use me. And here he is. He wrote two of the books. We call them books. They're really epistles in our Bibles. And we're going to look at those two tonight. And really, they, they go hand in hand, all right? So let's get started tonight. Have your Bible open. There are some verses I think will be on the screen and some you may have to take a look at. Now, back up just a little bit there. Who we got back here? Melissa, she's doing a great job, but I wanted to just give a, there you go. Notice the books of the Bible. This is called Route 66. I heard Brother Kenny did a great job last week with the book of James. That's a good book of the Bible. Now, notice all the books. Of course, there's 66 books, but we started, for those that are maybe tuning in for the first time tonight, we started in the New Testament, actually between the, the Old Testament, the end of it, and New Testament. And so we're looking at the, the New Testament books, the 27 there. And notice we've already made it past the blue books, the church epistles. And then we move into these red books, which many of them are called general epistles that deal with uh, various things. We'll talk about that tonight. So here we are. We're in First and Second Peter now, with the Lord's help, next week, we're going to cover 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. Say, wow, Pastor. Well, think about it. 1st John is five chapters. Then you have 2nd John, 3rd John are just a chapter each, and Jude is just a chapter. So, uh, we'll, 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 with the Lord's help, we'll get through it. All right? So, here we go. Strap yourself in. Here we go. 1st Peter is called the Book of Christian Discipline. Now, I know... Discipline sometimes uh, gives different meanings to different people, but I do think that God is a God of order. We need to be, as Christians, we need to live a disciplined life. You're doing a good job. You're in church on Wednesday night. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we have to attend church Wednesday night. It doesn't say that, but it does say, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We need to have some discipline in our lives. Now, as we look at here, beginning with the name, of course, Peter is the writer of this epistle. And Peter, of course, has a long history, and we're going to look at some of his history tonight. But Peter's proper name was Simon. And, of course, you see that early on when he's introduced in the Word of God. His surname, Peter, literally means rock. And notice that, that Peter is actually Cephas in the Hebrew. The Bible says in John 1.42, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, now this course, is uh, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, brought Peter to the Lord. What a great brother, brought his brother to Jesus. And the Bible says, when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And so notice that, that Peter, or Simon, was the son of Jonas, 
Jonas is a derivative of the name John, and he also was a resident of Capernaum. When we took our trip to the Holy Land, and a few of you in here went with us, we were in the city of Capernaum. We saw what they claimed to be the the resident area where Peter lived. Remember that, Brother Robert? And it was right down there by the water, by the Sea of Galilee. And, And so he was a resident of the city of Capernaum. Peter was married. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on. Peter, uh, I mentioned earlier, was the brother of Andrew, and Peter, by trade, was a fisherman. And two of his fishing buddies were James and John. And these guys spent their uh, early days until the time they met Jesus. And remember what Jesus said. He, He met them, he called them out, and he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, wouldn't that blow your mind? You, you, you've been fishing for fish all your life, and Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what a great life. I can't think of a better life to live than to help people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And I see Eric and Mandy back here. They're some of our newest converts in our church, and they prayed and trusted Christ as their Savior about a week ago in my office. What a blessing to see people trusting Christ as their Savior. And notice here that what the Bible says in, in uh, John 1, in verse number 40. The Bible says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, or the Messiah, the, the one that they had heard so much about. Notice, and the word Messiah is interpreted the Christ, the anointed one. Christos is the word. Luke 5.10, the Bible says, So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The Bible also calls them the sons of thunder. And it says here that uh, they were partners with Simon. So here's the three of them are. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Boy, the Lord was really trying to help Peter understand. You thought fishing for fish was tough, you know? I don't know if you've ever tried to witness to somebody, but uh, boy, you, as they say, you need to get them lost before they can be saved. And uh, many times it's hard to get a lost person to see them to come know Christ. And many people, it takes a long time. And for three years, I heard the truth before I trusted the Lord as my Savior. But notice a couple of things about Peter. And it, listen, all of us understand these. I won't spend a lot of time, but a few things about him. Early on, we see here that Peter was naturally impulsive, and he was very impetuous. Uh, A couple things that I guess came to my mind when I thought about these words was that Peter was one that, if you remember, when they were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, how many of the disciples asked to get out of the boat and walk on the water? Just one. Nobody else got out of the boat. It was an experience Peter had that no one else did. Peter was impulsive. He was impetuous. Remember, remember when, uh, when, when somebody threatened the Lord and Peter took a sword and took his ear off with it? That was Peter. Uh, you see that he was impulsive at times. He was presumptuous. Uh, remember when Peter rebuked Christ? You know, he actually rebuked the Lord. He refused to let... Uh, here, here Jesus was. He was sitting at the table with his disciples and he pushed away from the table. He took a towel. He girded himself with that towel, took a basin of water. Remember what he did? He began to wash the feet of the disciples. 
And remember what Peter said, he says, uh, he says if you're going to wash my feet, then you need to wash my, my head and wash me everywhere. And he didn't really understand what Jesus was trying to teach. It wasn't necessarily about him washing their dirty, stinky feet. It was about being a servant to other people, servant leadership. Uh, Peter was faint-hearted, and at times Peter was cowardly. Again, going back to the Sea of Galilee, Peter, uh, yes, got out of the boat, but remember what happened when he saw the, the waves and the wind? He began to sink. Peter cried out to the Lord when that happened. Uh, remember when Peter, and by the way, he wasn't alone, but when they went into the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus' heart was heavy because the cross was right before him, remember what Peter did with the other disciples? They all took a good Baptist nap, just like many of you do in church. <laughs> they fell asleep in, in the garden when Jesus said, could you not watch with me for an hour? Uh, remember what Peter did? Peter denied the Lord. They said, hey, listen, you're one of his disciples. What did Peter do? He denied. You know, it, one of them even said, your speech berays you. Your speech gives you away. You're one of his disciples. Peter was faint-hearted. He was cowardly. But how about this? As time went on, Peter was quick to confess Christ. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Whom do men say that I am? Peter's response here in Matthew 16, 15. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Notice, this is after he asked, who do men say? But then he says, who do you say? And notice Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I, I love the fact that, uh, remember the day, of course, Jesus had already ascended, gone back to be with the Father. And uh, the Bible talks about the day, what we call the day of Pentecost, 50 days after. And on the day of Pentecost, we see that Peter was there and he was courageous, he was immovable, he was one of Christ's, of course, inner circle, the three that, of course, there were 12 of them, but it was Peter, James, and John. I remember how they got to go up on the mountain of transfiguration. Now, a lot of times people say, well, how come Peter had, remember, with privilege comes responsibility. There was a reason that those three were there. Uh, God is not a respecter of persons. God had a greater job. God had something specific. God was going to use Peter, and he was part of Christ's inner circle. Peter is known as the preacher at Pentecost, Acts 2.14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Peter stood that day, and as, as he preached, by the way, what they heard in 16 different nationalities that day was the wonderful works of God, the Bible says. See, it wasn't some gibberish. They heard what God had to say for them in their own language. It was a miracle of God, and Peter was the one that stood and preached. Listen, I can't, I can't stand here on Sunday and preach in English and have Spanish people understand me. I have to have some help. But on that day, that day of Pentecost, Peter was used as the preacher. Notice he is the one that God chose to open the way for Gentiles to come into the church. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, and go with me to Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. And I want you to notice a couple of verses here tonight. In Acts 11, look at verse number 16. And of course, it, you can go all the way through chapter 10, 
where, of course, Peter, uh, Cornelius sends for Peter, and Peter sees this sheet being let down from heaven by the four corners. He sees all kinds of animals on it, and God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's response was, not so, Lord, I've ne- I'm a good boy. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And God was trying to open Peter's eyes. You know, Peter, like many even today, suffered under the burden of prejudice. And we have to understand, listen, the Bible says to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. God loves everyone. We ought to try to reach everyone while there's still time. And as you read on into Acts chapter number 11, notice as God is about to use Peter, look what the Bible says here in verse number 16. He says, then then remembered I, this is at the end of his, his remembering the whole account. He says, I remember the word of the Lord, how that he, the Lord said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, what was I that I could withstand God? In other words, this is God's doing that the Gentiles would be saved just like the Jews. Look at the next verse, verse 18. When they heard this, see Peter's testifying of the grace of God. And when Peter said this to them, and they heard these things, then they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. In other words, because Peter put, and by the way, it was because of God, but Peter was putting his stamp of approval, and because Peter said it, and it was true, then they said, we believe it, because Peter testified. See, God chose Peter to open the way for the Gentiles into the church. Notice next, he took a strong stand in a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, where he stood in defense of salvation by grace through faith. By the way, that's the only way anybody's ever been saved. Salvation by grace through faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Peter took a strong stand, and you can look there yourself if you go to Acts 15, and you see where Peter stood at the council of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, let's just go there. I want to look at a couple quick verses. All this stuff's so good, it's hard to pass it up. Acts 15, and notice what the Bible says here in verse number 8. is Peter standing at what is known as the council at Jerusalem. And the Bible says here in Acts 15, look at verse number 8. He says here, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. So again, he's testifying about the Gentiles being saved. Verse 9, and he says, And God put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. In other words, there's only one way to be saved. And Peter says, look, God was the one that showed me. God was the one that was opening the door. God was the one dealing with these people that we for so long had looked down on. The Bible says they even called the Gentiles dogs. And so Peter's testifying at the council 
at Jerusalem. Notice the next thing here is that when you see the end of Peter's life, tradition has it that Peter was martyred for his faith in AD 67. Peter was crucified, tradition says, upside down. The reason was is because Peter felt he was unworthy to die the same death that Jesus died on the cross, and so he died upside down. The Bible says, as Jesus, t- when, when, of course, when uh, he had resurrected, he told Peter of what was going to happen in his life. In John 21, look at these verses, verse 18. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, Jesus said, I say unto thee, he's talking to Peter, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest <clears throat> whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry, carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. So Jesus even foretold Peter what was going to happen in the days ahead, how he would be martyred for his faith in Christ. And so there's a little bit about the man that God used to, to write these words known as the epistle of 1 Peter. Now, the occasion of writing is Roman persecution had scattered believers everywhere. Now, that sounds like a bad thing, but if you look in Acts chapter number uh, 7 and Acts chapter number 8, the death of Stephen, listen, many times instead of Christians running for the caves and looking for hiding places, the Bible says that the gospel actually went further because of the persecution than it would have gone before. See, many times, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And so God begins to scatter the believers everywhere. Peter was writing, and, and here's the Bible word that Peter uses. He was writing to the strangers scattered throughout the Roman provinces. And, and the word stranger here is, is literally means someone that is sojourning or living in a strange land. Listen, that's why the songwriter wrote, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid somewhere beyond the blue. So look at the verse here in 1 Peter 1.1 where he writes, Peter, an apostle, Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So uh, Peter's writing to all these believers that have been scattered everywhere. Now, here's a thought that you need to have, and, and it is this. When we talk about the church, okay, and those of you that are joining us by live stream, the word church, ecclesia, is a called out assembly. People that have been saved by the grace of God, that are assembling themselves together, all right? So when, when I think about our church, Bible Baptist Church, those are all those who have been saved. They're a part of this local body of believers, But understand, there are other local bodies of believers that all make up the church. So when Peter was writing here, notice the words here, the church in general. Because when we looked at some of the church epistles, for instance, the church at Philippi, the book of Philippians, the church at Rome, okay, that's the book of Romans, the church in Colossae, that's the book of Colossians. You understand what I'm doing? Those were written to specific churches, but Peter's writing to the Christians that were being persecuted that had been scattered. Are you with me? Okay. So as he's writing to them, notice that the church in general, Christians everywhere at this time, 
in all these places, notice, notice here in the Roman provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they were undergoing a fiery trial. Those are the words that God gives to Peter. He pens those words. And the devil was seeking to devour all believers. Now, the, remember, the Bible says, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And the word devour means to disappear. You know the devil would love it if you weren't here next week. Just make you just disappear. And that's what he was trying to do. Here's a couple great verses. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, he says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. In other words, does it shock you? I mean, the, the Bible tells us that things like this are going to happen. Fiery trials. 1 Peter 5. Here's part of the verses I was just reading. Be sober, be vigilant, because your friend the devil, it's not what the Bible says, he's your adversary. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour as a roaring lion. Who Notice here, the Bible says, whom resists steadfast in the faith. So look, we know the devil is, is, is real. And so what are we to do? Well, the Bible says we need to resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, what we're going through, or what we may face in the days ahead are accomplishing your brethren that are in the world. Look, you're not going through it alone. Others have already been there. Read Hebrews chapter number 11, what some believers, some Christians went through in their lives. So we need to understand the occasion for writing. Now, here's a couple reasons why Peter wrote this general epistle. Number one, he wrote to encourage them in their sufferings. By the way, when people are going through hard times, you know what they need? They don't need you to kick them, they need you to encourage them. And that's one reason that people, when they're going through difficult times, read 1 Peter. Notice, secondly, remind them of important truths. <clears throat> now, I don't have time to get into it, uh, but it, here's some important truths that he covers, or by the way, God helps him or gives him this information to pen down all scriptures given by inspiration of God. So what does he, what does he cover? The election that the Bible mentions here by the Father. And again, many people don't understand. They act like that only certain people can be saved. That's not the Bible. The Word of God says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come, come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. But we need to understand, and, and Peter talks about that. He talks about sanctification by the Holy Spirit. Look, once we're saved, the life that we continue to live as Christians. Notice he also talks about redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You cannot be saved by your own works. Brother Kenny covered that last week in the book of James. And then notice also he covers obedience as proof of their faith. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And God says, listen, we need to be obeying him. Peter reminds them of these important truths. Number three, Peter writes to give hope to, the, to them as strangers on this earth. But notice that even though they're strangers on the earth, they have an inheritance in heaven. Hey, aren't you glad that this world is not your home? You know, our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. And many of us have already seen loved ones go on before us. One day we're going to be reunited with them. But the most important thing is we will be with Jesus. And that'll be worth it all. And then number four, Peter writes to show his support 
of Paul's teachings. Now, again, I love this because, remember, Paul's teachings were God's teachings. So all Peter was doing was validating God's word. Uh, notice a couple of verses here, 2 Peter chapter 3, as he shows support of Paul's teachings. The Bible says, and he, he says here, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, as according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So here he is. He's got Paul's back. He's saying, look, what Paul was writing to you, he received it from the Lord. And let's read on. He says, as also in all his epistles, all the writings of Paul, he says, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood. Anybody ever find that sometimes certain things you read in the Bible are hard to understand? If you're like me. And then he goes on to say, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. They, they struggle to try to understand. He says, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware before, he says, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked. By the way, a good word for that phrase is apostasy. Now, the Bible says here, being led away with error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So look, he's admonishing us to make sure that we're following the teachings of the Word of God, and he's specifically talking about the, Paul, the teachings that Paul wrote, that God gave to Paul, and then he finishes it off in verse 18. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So as Peter is writing, these are the reasons that he writes 1 Peter. Now just in case any brethren, saved people, felt that Peter might lean towards Judaism, and we've already talked in weeks gone by, Judaism is a system of works. It's keeping the letter of the law. Listen, no one can keep the whole law. If you've offended one point, you've offended the whole law, the Bible says. But there were a lot of people that were very legalistic, very Judaistic in their, in their beliefs. So some brethren might think, well, Peter's kind of leaning towards Judaism. But notice what Peter does. He sought in his letters to show them that the gospel was for the Jew and the Gentile alike. So Peter showed no favoritism. Why? Because it was God's words and not Peter's words. And so we see this just in case somebody thought Peter was leaning in the wrong direction. Now, Peter stressed the chief doctrines that Paul emphasized. And notice five of these that Peter stressed in 1 Peter. The first one is Christ's vicarious suffering and his death. Now, if you have your Bible there in 1 Peter, I want you to look at some of these verses. By the way, vicarious, that may be a word new to some of you. Here's what it means. It means to suffer in the place of someone else. You know what Jesus did when he died on the cross? He took your place and he took mine. That's the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus Christ. So look at, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and look what the Bible says in verse 24. Who his own self. Look, God could have chosen any way for us to be saved, but the Bible says that who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Aren't you glad that Jesus died the death instead of us dying the death that we deserve? 
Jesus took our place. And what a wonderful Savior we have. So Peter stresses that doctrine. Notice, secondly, he stresses redemption by Christ's blood. If you have your Bible in 1 Peter 1, the Bible says in verse number 18, 1 Peter 1, verse number 18. Notice these verses. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. In other words, you can't, the, the, the Catholics for many years taught that you could pay indulgences, indulgences and get people out uh, of hell. And the Bible says that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain or your empty life, vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But notice how we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah, right? And it was his blood. Listen, all the blood of the bulls and goats and, and calves, all the animal sacrifices, none of that blood would ever atone for the sins of anyone. It was just a type of what would happen when the Lamb of God came and gave his life, shed his precious divine blood. Notice Peter also stressed the chief doctrine of the new birth. And if you're still there in chapter 1, look at verse 23. The Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So listen, once we are saved, the Bible says we have a new life in Christ. And Peter stresses the new birth of being born again. That's a Bible term. Notice another thing is the resurrection. Go to chapter 3 and look at verse 21. The Bible says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So Peter stressed the doctrine of the resurrection. Listen, folks, we serve a risen Savior. 1 Corinthians 15 if you listen, if you take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then our faith is vain. But yet we have hope. Why? Because Jesus rose as he said he would. Peter stresses the resurrection. And then notice number five, Christ's second coming. He also stresses, and I've given you some verses there that you can look at. Now notice the contents of this first Peter epistle covers the treatment of the redeeming, regenerating sanctifying and persevering grace that only God can give to us. Peter exhorts believers to exercise grace, faith, hope, and love in their Christian duties. This is something we're admonished, we're encouraged to do every day in our lives as Christians. Peter encourages them to patiently bear all afflictions and persecutions and to stand steadfast in the true grace of God. Again, they were they were under great persecution. That's why they were scattered. That's why Peter was writing unto them. And so as you look at the character of this particular book in our Bible, it is the word epistle. It just means letter. So notice it's a general epistle. It is written to the saints that were scattered uh, at, during this particular time in the Roman provinces. The subject of 1 Peter is the pilgrim's pathway of suffering. Those that, that are in Christ, Jesus said it this way. He says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There may come a day, even here in our country, where we may see 
persecution on the rise for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And this would be a good book for us to go to for encouragement. The purpose of this book is to encourage us when we're tried in order that we may be perfect, we may be established, we may be strengthened, and we may be settled as Christians. Look at the verses here in, in 1 Peter 5, verses 9 and 10. Whom resists steadfast. Now the word steadfast means to be strong, to be firm, to be unmovable. He says, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace, and by the way, that's the key right there when the suffering comes, the God of grace, all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. Now notice that word suffered. Here's the word. The word is the word pasco, which is where they get the word for Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb, pasco. It means to suffer, to be afflicted or affected, to feel it. Listen, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. When they nailed him to the cross, he felt that. When they placed that crown of thorns on his head, he felt that. And so understand, the Bible says here that after we have suffered, after we have felt what we're feeling in the suffering for a while, notice what God's going to do. He's going to make you perfect. Now that word's not what we would think in English. The word perfect means to be completely thorough or to be mature, to grow. God helps us as we go through those times. Not only to make us perfect, but look at this word, establish. I love this word. If you want to write this down, it means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. To turn resolutely in a certain direction or to set fast. God says, look, I'm going to help you during those times to turn the way. And what we need to do is turn our eyes upon Jesus, looking unto Jesus those people that were burned at the stake, how could they endure that? Because they were turned resolutely in a right direction. And then the next word he uses is the word strengthen. It's interesting, the word strengthen here carries that idea that we would think to be bigger, to have strength, but it actually is talking about to have vigor in our soul, something on inside of us that would cause us to stand even during persecution. And the last word he uses there in verse number 10 is the word settle. And this word actually means to lay the foundation for. The very last thing he says that, that he will settle us and that we might have the right foundation. Now notice the outline here, a simple outline, begins with a little introduction, goes into a life of faith, a life of holiness, a life of victory, and then a life of service. But notice the next one, a life of conflict. And it ends with a conclusion. So very uh, takes a very good uh, a path through the book of 1 Peter in just a few chapters, five chapters. The writer is Peter, and it was written about 65 A.D. And this is interesting. Peter indicates in this epistle that he wrote this from Babylon. Now, there are some that, that differ on this particular subject, but notice what it says in chapter 5. In verse number 13, notice he says, the church 
Now remember, a church is not a building. It's a people of God. He says, the church that is at where? Babylon. Elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son, or Mark. Now, notice as Peter is writing here, there, there is no certainty whether Peter is, is actually referring to the literal Babylon or if Peter is using a name here, the name Babylon, to refer to Rome. Of course, Rome at this time was under the persecution of Nero. But what's interesting is, is nowhere in the scriptures do you see Peter actually in Rome. And yet the Bible says here in verse 13 that Peter was writing to the church that was at Babylon and history shows that at the time of Peter's writing this epistle there was a large colony of Jews that were at Babylon. And so Peter's writing there in Babylon. Now the key chapter is chapter number one of these five chapters deals with assurance and the promises for believers. And of course, believers at times of persecution, that, listen, that's why you need to make sure you know that you're saved by the grace of God. Because when the persecution comes, your faith's going to be put to the test. And we need the assurances and the promises that God's word has for us. Now notice a couple key verses here. You'll see them on the screen there. The Bible says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in a heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then over in chapter number four, here's a couple other verses. Beloved, I said earlier, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He says, rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers you're going through what Jesus went through. Of course, we're not uh, hanging on a cross, but he says that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so there's some key verses for First uh, Peter. The key words or word is the word suffer used 15 times in First Peter. The key phrase is pilgrims and strangers, pilgrims and strangers. And we've talked about that. The key thought is the Christian's hope. And this is a great book to go to to find the hope that we need. The spiritual thought is Jesus is precious. Uh, chapter 2, verse 7, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. And in, as in other uh, books we've gone through, I like to see how the Lord is seen in each book. And in this book, he is seen as the suffering lamb. Chapter 2, verse 21, Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Now, uh, ever so often, there are some unique things that I like to find in some of these books. And one of the things that, of course, I know this has been a hot topic for many, many years, the Catholic Church loves to talk about Peter. Now, understand that the teachings of the Catholic Church, and how many of you come from this kind of background along with me? Quite a few of you do. And, and what you find is the Catholic Church claims that Peter was the first of many popes who are God's representative on earth. And they claim that those representatives, the popes, including Peter, should be obeyed. Now, the scripture, again, doesn't place, uh, of course, we understand that the Catholic Church, the main part of the church, is situated in Rome. Peter was never there. But they call Peter, this is their words, not mine, the chief pastor of the whole church, and they call him the vicar 
of Christ upon earth. And there are, I'm going to give you six reasons. Now, again, don't use this as ammunition. All right? Some of you still have, if you're like me, you still have Catholic relatives. But, but these are six reasons why Peter was not the first pope. Now, notice it starts with a pretty simple one. He was married. Now, the Catholic Catechism, number 277, if you want to write that down, look it up, you can. But here's what it states, that clergy should be celibate. Well, it's hard to be celibate when you're married. Peter was married. The Bible talks about Peter's mother-in-law. Remember, she was sick. She had a fever. And so Peter was married. That's one reason he could not have been the first pope. Number two, how about this one? He made mistakes on matters dealing with faith and morals. And yet they claim that the, that the Pope uh, is, is, is uh, here in uh, Catechism 891, states that, the, this is their words, the Roman pontiff, head of the College of Bishops, enjoys, here's their word, this infallibility, in other words, can't make a mistake, in virtue of his office, when as supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful, who confirms his brethren in the faith, he proclaims by a definite act a doctrine pertaining to faith or morals. Now, what did Jesus have to say uh, when it came to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 22? Look in your notes. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, Jesus turned, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter wasn't Satan but he was acting on behalf of Satan, what he was saying to the Lord. Notice Jesus says, Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You remember in the, in the New Testament where Peter was, was with the Gentiles, and then when Paul and some of the Jews showed up, Peter withdrew himself from the Gentiles and uh, kind of acted like, well, listen, I wasn't hanging out with them. I wasn't doing anything. Remember what Paul did? The Bible says Paul withstood him to the face. In other words, Paul, I wouldn't want Paul to get in my face. But Paul did it. Why? Because Peter made a mistake. Guess what? We all make mistakes, including this pastor. But yet they believe that the Pope is infallible. He makes no mistakes. Peter could not be the Pope. Notice thirdly, Peter refused to be worshipped. By the way, only God should be worshipped. Only God. No man should ever be worshipped, but yet what do they do with the Pope? They worship the Pope. They kiss his ring. They go up on steps on their knees. And listen, the Pope is one that receives worship of man in Luke chapter number 9. Remember when the disciples were having this discussion on who was going to be the greatest? I could have settled that. Muhammad Ali was the greatest. No, I'm just kidding. But, but here's the thing is, they were having this big argument about who was the greatest. Did you notice that the Bible never said Peter was? It didn't. So when you think about it, if the Bible doesn't recognize Peter as the greatest, then why in the world should uh, they show worship unto a man? Number four, what's another reason Peter could not be the first pope? Because Jesus told the disciples that they were not to be called by the title of father. And yet the very word pope, papa, in the Latin, means father. And so the Bible, look at this verse that, that the Word of God says in two verses in Matthew 23. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, 
and all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, notice that's a capital F there, which is in heaven. So look, Peter could not have been uh, the Pope. Notice number five, why he couldn't, because Jesus is the only head of the church. It's not possible for Peter to fill that role. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.22, that have put all things under his feet. If you go back, you find this passage is talking about Jesus Christ and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. See, it wasn't Peter, it was Jesus that's the only head of the church. And then number six, another reason Peter was not is because Christ is the only mediator between us and God. Peter could never do that. By the way, Mary can't do that either. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So uh, kind of uniqueness about Peter. Now, here's another thing, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but uh, how many of you have heard of, of, of Presbyterian churches? How about Episcopal churches? Okay. There's a lot of churches out there. Now, the reason these churches are named the way they are is when you go to the Word of God, you actually find in the original language the word presbyteros. You find the word episkopos. These words actually come from God's Word. They are synonymous terms for the same office. Because when you study the Bible, there's only two offices in the church according to the Word of God, and that's a pastor and a deacon. That's the only two offices. Now, the Bible only uses one word for a deacon, and it's the word diakonos. And the word diakonos means servant. It literally means a waiter of tables. Now, we've got some wonderful men here that serve as deacons in our church, and what they are is they're servants to the people. I love them for that. So there's only one term that actually means a deacon. Now, when you look at pastor in the Word of God, there are different words. As a matter of fact, there's five words. Three of them are found in 1 Peter chapter number 5, and I want you to look at these verses here. Look at verse 1, 2, and 3. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now notice the next thing. Feed the flock of God which is among you, Notice the next statement, taking the oversight thereof, he says, not by uh, constraint, not, he says here, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, lucre is for money's gain. By the way, the Bible talks about that there are, there should be a pastor and that there are oftentimes, there are people who are doing it for money. And the Bible goes on to say, be of a ready mind, neither as being lords over. See, God didn't send me here as a pastor to lord over the flock of God, but to be an example to the flock. And listen, I pray and hope that in some small way I am an example, but I'm asking God every day to help me to be the right example. But when you see these three things that I highlighted, okay, look at the first one there, the word elders, okay, that's the word presbyteros. That particular word actually talks about the distinction of a pastor. It's not necessarily talking about an old man because there are some that are younger, but they, are, they have wisdom beyond their years. And that's one of the distinctions. So the word elder, listen, there are churches that have elder rule. That word elder is just another word for pastor. 
Notice the second one there, feed the flock. This particular phrase is the word poimain. Poimain is actually to be a shepherd. That's a, a distinction of a pastor is when you come. Now watch this. At church, God has instructed me to feed you. But think about this. You're not at church on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So whose responsibility is it to feed you when you're not here? It's your responsibility. But when you're here, that's why as a pastor, I labor in my study because it's one of the things God's given me as a poimain is to have a meal ready for you. Do you guys like meals or do you like Twinkies? Don't answer that, all right? But I, listen, when God's people come to church, if you give them something that they can sink their teeth in, okay, feed the flock of God. And then notice the third statement there. He says, taking the oversight. That's the word episkopos. That particular word there, you'll see in the word of God, here's another word you'll see that is translated episkopos is the word bishop. Bishop is another word that is synonymous with a pastor. But yet you find the Catholic Church, they have bishops in their church. They do not understand the biblical teaching. I could spend more time on this, but I'm trying to get you to understand that Peter's trying to help us because a lot of times there's confusion when it comes to the house of God. We need to understand God's given to each church a body, a pastor, to be the under-shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd, all right? So that's 1 Peter. Now, we won't spend near as long on 2 Peter, and we'll be done. So here we go. 1 Peter was dealing with Christian discipline. 2 Peter is the book of Christian diligence. Christian diligence. The, the writer, notice here, Peter, by name, the occasion is to strengthen the believer by encouraging them. It kind of follows 1 Peter to keep their faith in the midst of suffering. Now, notice this, suffering perils from without. Now, those are oftentimes easy to see perils from without, but notice the second part here, to know the truth in the face of mounting heresies and apostasy and perils from within. Do you know that that's one of the tactics of the devil is to have sheep and wol uh, wolves in sheep clothing, to come within the flock? to spread their damnable heresies among the children of God. And one of the things that God wants us to understand is to know the truth. By the way, the more time you make yourself familiar with the truth, when something's not true in your heart, you'll say, that's not right, because that's not what the Bible teaches. You see, I, that, that, here's a simple example of that. It, whenever I was younger, I, I never understood it, but as I got saved and started to grow, you know what I can't find in the Bible? Sprinkling someone. It's not in there. The Bible teaches immersion by, by baptism. And so we need to understand the truth, and that's what he says when there are perils from within. The contents, notice the saints need to have a larger concern for grace and spiritual knowledge. He also gives a warning against false teachers, and this is becoming more and more prevalent as the days go on. The fact of Christ's return, he covers that in 2 Peter also, and a need to practice what they preach. Did you hear that? You cannot just preach it, you have to live it. Practice what they preach. And it's important that we do that. By the way, people will know because your walk talks louder than your talk talks. 
And so people will watch your life. This is also noticed by character. It's a general epistle because, again, it was written to those Christians that were scattered. The subject in 2 Peter, different than 1 Peter, deals with last things. Gets a little bit more into eschatology, dealing with the eternal kingdom, the second coming of Christ, the judgment of the wicked, and the day of the Lord. And so those are some of the last things that are covered in 2 Peter. Now, the purpose is simply this, to help us to grow in grace. And the Bible says there in the last verse of this book, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Simple outline there basically has an address, deals with the knowledge of God and the Christian's growth, the Christian's peril, the Christian's hope. And then notice how it ends, just the last part of the last verse we call that the doxology. Now, the, the word ology on the end is a word about, and the word dox or doxa actually means glory. And so we actually have a song in our hymn book called the doxology. Brother Kenny sings that ever so often. What is the doxology? It's an expression of praise to God. Doxa or doxa means glory. So we see here how the book is put together, just three little chapters. The writer is Peter. Now, uh, 1 Peter was written about 65, so 2 Peter is written in 67 AD. Again, probably in Babylon, written to those of like precious faith. Chapter 2 is the key chapter of 2 Peter, and it deals with warning concerning apostate teachers. And again, what is apostasy? It's someone that is abandoning or rejecting the truth. And so it, it gives us a warning about that. The key verse uh, there in chapter 3 and verse number 2, the Bible says that she may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. So that's talking about the Old Testament and of the commandment of us, the apostles of, Lord Jesus, of, of, of the Lord and Savior. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament, the prophets, and he's talking about that which is spoken of the apostles, New Testament. Of course, the canon wasn't all the way complete at this time because, uh, again, you have like book of Revelation that was not yet written. God hadn't given the revelation. The key words here are knowledge and remembrance. And a great book here for help us understand how important knowledge is. Key phrase is the full knowledge of God. We just uh, looked at that in chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Notice it's not the knowledge of man, but the knowledge of God. And so the key thought then is be mindful. We read that in verse 2 of chapter 3 in just a minute, uh, just a little while ago. Be mindful. The spiritual thought, and it, boy, isn't this true for our lives, never stop growing. You know, that's uh, I, I, I already miss people like uh, Brother Gilbert, Brother David. Brother David went home to be with the Lord not too long ago. And you know what I like about those guys? I went to visit Brother David with Brother Kenny. Brother David had, had his Bibles piled up. He had, I, uh, for weeks, for months, I had been sending Brother David all the outlines and all the handouts for every Sunday. And uh, the lady that, that her and her family had been helping Brother Dave these past probably couple years, um, she, said, she, she said to me, Pastor, he pulls those out and he teaches me that stuff. You know, Brother David never stopped growing. Brother Gilbert, all those books never stopped growing. You and I shouldn't either. And then we see uh, Christ in 2 Peter is the Lord of glory. And again, you see that growing grace in the knowledge of our Lord. 
and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So First and Second Peter, great books in our Bible. And I hope that, again, now listen, there, there, I gave you a few things that are unique. One of the things that I challenge you is take some time, if you don't understand what the Bible means in 1 Peter, by the word election, all right? Very important. Always look at words like election and foreknowledge and foreordain in the context that they're given. Because many times what people want to do is take them out of the context God gave them in and use them as a means of salvation, when many times that's not the use of those words. What they're doing is they're taking them out of context and saying that only certain people, that by the way, that's nowadays that's Calvinistic teaching is what that is. And if you don't understand what Calvinistic teaching is, we could cover that, walk across that bridge some other time, but it's a very dangerous teaching that many people still adhere to today. So hopefully, listen, you, you understand some of this. If it's, if it's a lot for you, take it home, chew on it, go back and read those two small epistles, and hopefully the Lord will give you understanding there. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless as we leave tonight. Thank you again, Lord, for everything that you've given to us in these two small letters that Peter wrote. And as I started tonight, I wanted to remind our people and those that are listening by way of live stream that... Peter, the man that made so many mistakes, but yet realized when you said to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times you asked him. And yet we see how his life was so impacted and used. And it helped people that were being persecuted for their faith that were struggling because of the fiery trial that was trying them. But it was because of the grace of God that their lives were strengthened and established and settled. Lord, that's what we want for our lives. Lord, I don't know, and next week the election will be over. Praise the Lord for that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who is in the White House, the Oval Office. The only thing that matters is who's sitting on the throne in heaven. And God, I pray that you'd help us to live the Christian life no matter what happens. Give us the strength. And of course, we know that your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord,